Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. My name is Beth. I volunteer here at the church, and I'm so happy that you're here joining us. And this morning, we are going to be continuing in the teaching series, The Power of Hope, and Pastor Tim would like to tell us about that. Yeah, so I had two choices. One was an old Sunday school song, and one was a song from Pocahontas. So how many remember Pocahontas? Okay, how, remember, how many of you remember old Sunday school songs? Okay, so if I said, um, the wise man built his house, okay, and then just around the river, okay, so you both kind of have an idea there. Um, today, the message is titled, it's called The Hard Way, and we're going to be looking at what it means to have a choice in life between an easy way and a hard way, and how God often calls us to choose the hard way. In fact, actually, that God also often places the hard way in front of us as his ideal choice in life, in that the hard way is actually the way that God intends us to go. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to choose between an easy way and a hard way, and you chose the easy way, but the easy way ended up being very hard in the long run? Yeah, it's kind of like telling a lie and then having to tell another lie and then having to tell another lie and another lie and another lie. And the, the easy way actually isn't easy at all. It actually is very, very complicated. However, if you go the hard way and you take those first steps and you get through that challenge, it actually gets easier and easier and easier. If you've ever been through FPU, Financial Peace University, which just started off, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've done the first few months of figuring out how to make a budget and you've grown through those growing pains, you probably understand that as well. Um, if not, I encourage you, check out FPU. It's a great program. But today we're going to be talking about this idea, this concept of being choosing the hard way and how God works through the hard way. And we're going to continue um, discussing the exiles and Jeremiah and, and continue down this path of chapter 29 of Jeremiah and looking at how God works in those times of hardship and what it means to choose the hard way in life, and how God um, takes those times in our lives and actually uses them to produce great things in our lives. And so I'm really excited about not only this series, but where this message takes us as we move through verses 8 through 10 in Jeremiah 29, as we dive into, it's called the hard way, and who knows, you may be craving chicken by the end of it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for our chance to be here this morning. As we hear what we need to hear, and however hard it may be, open our ears to listen and our hearts to follow your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you ever travel down I-75 through Kentucky, you can go about 90 miles past Lexington, you're going to find a small town called Corbin. Anybody know where Corbin is? Been there? A couple of you have. All right, so along Route 25, you're going to see a sign that says, Visit the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. It is the best place to go if you've never been there. Um, any KFC will do, actually. Um, but No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you can go down there, and, and you can see the sign, Visit the original Kentucky Fried Chicken, and, and there you're going to find a combination restaurant motel. And it's a museum. Of, of, the origin, of the original museum. In the 1930s, Harlan Sanders bought a restaurant and built a motel right next to it. And with the number one recipe in the restaurant was his creation, the best fried chicken in Kentucky. 
1957, Harlan Sanders was very successful, um, but he wasn't very well known, not like he is today. Um, but he was 66 years old, an age where a lot of folks retire. Not everybody retires in their mid-60s, but he, he was at that age where a lot of folks retire. But some would call it a tragedy. Others would call it just, you know, reality of life. But something happened. Interstate 75 was being built. And if you've ever watched the movie Cars, you would understand what happens when the interstate gets built around a small town. And Harlan Sanders was faced with the, the reality of an interstate being built around his town and what happens to a hotel when the interstate comes through. Um, and that reality was a bypass, meaning nobody was going to come to his motel and thereby no one was going to come eat at his restaurant. So he needed to decide if he was going to survive, he would have to do something different, do something new and change his track. And so he had to do something else. And so he sold his restaurant in the motel, and he went into the chicken spice business at 66 years old. And he started supplying restaurants in several states. And out of that little business of supplying that spice, he, start, he had this idea to start a restaurant that would serve nothing but fried chicken with his trademark 11 herbs and spices. And he decided to call it. Do you know what he wanted to call that first restaurant? Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know, it's a trick question. <laughs> I know. I couldn't help it. I know. But um, the rest is kind of history. And the sign on the wall in the museum down there in Corbin has his credo. Um, one sentence that describes Harlan's work ethic. And it, sim it simply says, it's called the hard way. It's called the hard way, which is, in fact, the name of the message this morning. It's relatively easy to prosper in life if, if you're willing to be dishonest, if you're willing to violate the confidence of others, and if you're willing to prey on the weak, be underhanded in practices and business practices. If you're willing to cut corners, it's, it's relatively easy to prosper in this life. And yet, all of these methods that we are so apt to condone in today's culture are also what we consider you know, some of the best business practices in our culture today as well that get you to the top. It's more difficult to be successful by keeping our promises, by delivering valuable goods and services and rejecting shady business practices. It's tougher to be successful by maintaining eth excellent ethical standards, no matter what the cost may be. The easy way is, or may be, more profitable and speedy. The hard way often does take more time and is more demanding. But, in fact, if you think about it, the, the reality is as time goes on, we often discover that the easy way becomes harder and the harder way becomes easier. I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, but just stay with me here for a minute. As the years roll on, it becomes increasingly apparent that, that the easy way rests upon like an unstable foundation, while the hard way builds on a solid foundation. It's kind of like that, that idea of telling a lie and then building upon lies. It's, it's shaky ground. In 1964, Harlan Sanders sold his now global business of Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC, and 
to a group of investors that was led by none other John Johnny Y. Brown Jr. Um, he's very a very well-known politician and investor, and well, he wasn't really a politician until he became governor, 55th governor of Kentucky, who also happens to be my first cousin once removed. Um, but that's besides the point. He was my mother's first cousin. Um, today, there are, there are over 20,000 KFCs around the world, globally, around the world. But it all began with, with one man who said he was going to decide to take the hard way instead of the easy way. And if you're taking notes this morning on the message notes insert, this is where we're going to begin. In life, there are, only, there are always two ways. There's always two ways. You can either take the easy way or you can take the hard way. And I know it's simple. It's common sense. But so many things in life are common sense and simple, and yet so easy to say and yet so hard to do. There's always the easy way and there's the hard way. And that's really what life itself is all about. The question that we're faced with is what are we going to do? Which way are we going to go? You know, the easy way, the easy road looks easy, but once you choose that path, it turns out to be very challenging, a very tough street. And while the hard way looks challenging, looks complicated, once you do the hard thing, once you make that hard choice, it turns out to be easier and gets easier. The, the easy road become, is deceptive, is often deceptive. And it, also, it often leads to, to destruction, to poverty, to starvation and desperation. It can lead to wasted time, days, hours, years of your life can be wasted going that easy way. We all know that guy, right, or that girl. Let's be politically correct. The get-rich-quick person, they always got that plan, that shortcut. How does it always turn out? Not very good. The hard road. But we also know that person who's willing to, put the, to make the sacrifice, to go the extra mile, to do the hard thing. How does it always work out for them? You sit back and you're like, oh, I wish I would have been able to commit and do that too. The hard road, no matter however, however it, how hard it feels or seems, no matter how difficult it can be, ultimately that becomes the road of blessing and fulfillment and ultimately actually spiritual growth as well. Because the easy way often just leads to the bottom and the, the, the hard way often leads to the, the top of where God has called us to be in this life. So Jesus one time is, is preaching, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount in, Ma in the Gospel of Matthew, but he's, he's talking on the, on this, to this group of people, and he talks about two houses. That's why I, I use that, that, that story from Sunday school, the wise man built his house upon the rock, because he's talking about two houses, right? And he, he says, there's a guy who builds a house on the rock. He says, there's a guy who builds a house on the sand. And, and a storm comes, and it destroys the one house that's built on the sand, and, and the house that's built on the rock, it lasts. And, and if you want to look up that story and read it, by all means do so. It's in Matthew chapter 7. But the one that's built on the, the, the solid rock stands because it has a foundation, obviously. And, but Jesus says that the rock was hearing his words and then putting them into practice. The easy way is like building on the sand, and the hard way is like building on the rock. And Jesus said that the person who builds on the sand, like he literally calls him a fool. It's like he's a fool. But the one who builds on the rock is wise. And so that also, also leads us to consider that other question is, am I wise or am I a fool? Now, I was going to have you turn to the person beside you and ask them if they think you're wise or a fool, but I think that might turn out not very good because a lot of people are honest these days. And so just internally, we may want to ask ourselves, am I wise or am I a fool? Maybe, maybe not. 
But it's worth considering. Am I wise or am I a fool? And so to, to, to analyze this, we're going to turn to Jeremiah 29, like we have been, to consider that question, because God has been speaking to the captives in Babylon. And this is where we've been for the last five weeks now. So the, the exiles were forcibly taken from Jerusalem, and they've been taken to Babylon, marched hundreds of miles in chains. And this happened because they disregarded God, they took His blessing for granted, they turned to idols, they didn't listen to God's warning, and finally the day came when God brought up a man called Nebuchadnezzar, and He, he used him as His instrument of judgment against His own people. God raised up a pagan king, a pagan king, to judge his own chosen people. And I think that's something that we got to think about as well. God raised up a pagan king to judge his own chosen people. Now they're in Babylon and they hated it. They weren't like, oh, cool, Babylon. Like tapestries. No, they did not enjoy Babylon. They hated it. Not only is it a foreign land, but their captors humiliated them. They humiliated their faith. They mocked them. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. This is not a good time for them. Not surprisingly, some of the Jews wanted to find a shortcut, a quick way out. Seventy years. That's what God had said. You're going to be there for 70 years. Seventy years, God? God wouldn't do that to us. God wouldn't. Seventy years? Really? Talk about the hard way. But God had ordained that as the hard way. And that means, and I, don't throw anything at me, that means that that was God's way. That the hard way was God's way, which means it was the best way. Even though it meant that his people will endure, would endure suffering, they would endure loss, separation, disappointment, and 70 years of frustration. Nebuchadnezzar performed what God had ordained he attacked and removed God's people from their homeland against their will. There was, there was no option to stay home. There was no not participating in this event. But God's people did have a choice. They did have a choice. But it wasn't a choice of choosing God's plan or not. It wasn't like they could say, you know what? I don't really feel like this whole excursion to Babylon. I know you're saying exile, but I'm going to choose it as a great adventure of God's plan or not in my life. You can go ahead and take the neighbors. I'm going to stay home on the couch and binge watch Netflix. No, they didn't have a choice. It was die or be dragged off in chains. It was happening whether they wanted it to or not. The choice that they had, the choice that they had is the same choice that we have when crappy situations happen in our lives. When bad things happen, when bad things happen to good people, when things happen that are outside of our control, they have the sa had the same choice that we have. And that is this. Will I recognize God's hand working in what is happening to me? Will I trust that my Heavenly Father has a purpose in what seems like a bad thing that is going on in my life? Because it all comes down to this straightforward, simple, blunt question that I love you too much not to ask you to ask yourself. And that is this all-important question that we should all ask ourselves. Will I respond to God's plan for my life in faith and hope? Or will I complain and rebel in my heart? 
Because that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because things happen that we have no control over. These hardships, these hard ways. Harlan Sanders had no control over I-75 coming in. No control. But he had responsibility over how he responded. How will you respond to God's plan in your life? Will you respond in faith and hope? Or will you complain and rebel? That is the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves when faced with this situation. The exiles had no choice. But it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to seek an easy way out. And that takes us to verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9 give a warning that we need to take a moment to process as we reflect on this question. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. We have to remember as we face these challenges in our lives that there will always be voices, always be people around us that we just shouldn't listen to. People that are going to lead us astray. In this particular case, in Babylon, there was, there was this prophet back in Jerusalem named Hananiah, who shortly after this second exile, remember there were three exiles, three times the Babylonians came and took people away, but the second time um, there, was this, there was this prophet, his name was Hananiah, and shortly after the deportation of the Jews, um, he, he boldly made some predictions. And, and there were two primary ones. The first one, he said that two years after this exile, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to return all of the gold that was taken from Jerusalem. And the second prediction, he said, God has told me that he's going to return all of the exiles two years later. And you can imagine this message was very popular to the people in Jerusalem who had family members that were exiled in Babylon. Right? This is exciting because the last they heard from Jeremiah, they were going to be gone for 70 years. Word spread all the way to Babylon. Whoa, there's a prophet saying two years now? <laughs> Forget all this about 70 years. That's, that's crazy. We're going to be home in two years. That's only 24 months. That's exciting news. 70 years is a long time to be anywhere you don't want to be, no matter how you count it. 70 years. Two years. If you were in that somewhere, or your loved one were in that somewhere, you would be glad to hear that kind of news as well. And that's why Hananiah was kind of like our famous prosperity preachers today who make lavish promises of health and wealth if we would only sow the seeds of faith and by sending money to some of our ministries. Dial 1-800-PAY-TIM. And I'll bless you. Right? I stole the jingle from somewhere else. I can't tell you where. <laughs> Copyright infringement and all. Um, but, you know, it's that televangelist, you know, thing. That's that, that, that prosperity gospel thing. Like, I'll give you a shortcut. Twelve steps to a perfect faith. No, that's too many. Eight. No, two. One step. Do this one thing and your life will be perfect. All you got to do is give me $100. Free shipping on your second order. 
But that's the mindset, right? That's the mindset. Listen again to what God says. Don't let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you there in the land of Babylon trick you. Don't listen to their dreams because what they're telling you is lies. They're lying in my name. I have not sent them. The late Eugene Peterson offers this paraphrase. Don't pay any attention to the fantasies they, they keep coming up with to please you. You see, those false prophets and those, those prosperity preachers in our time, the reason why they exist, the reason why they're around and why they keep saying these things and doing these things is because we want to hear it, right? It's true. They prosper because we have itchy ears for these things. We long for the easy way. We want the two-step process. We want the easy way out. It would gratify our desires. But here's the reality, folks. In the end, it's the truth-tellers who prevail. In the end, it is the truth-tellers who prevail. It always is. That's why you always see these guys on the, on the TV and the media crashing and burning. In May of 1940, Winston Churchill was appointed as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and he, to lead the fight against Germany. In the, his first speech as Prime Minister to the House of Commons on May 13th, he's, he uttered these now famous words. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. You know, it would take five more years, but his words would ultimately come true. And the final defeat of the Third Reich brought an end to one of the darkest chapters in human history. But it was a hard and it was a long, long road to get there. I think that if we could go back to, to 595 B.C., we would understand better why a man like Hananiah was so popular. The city was defeated, the government was overthrown, the people were deported, thousands of citizens were displaced, there was a puppet king who sat on the throne, and in a few years the Babylonians would return, finish the job, they were going to destroy the temple, they were going to burn the city down, they were going to tear down the walls, they were going to kill a bunch of people, they were going to deport the rest, where a proud city once stood. There would be nothing but a wasteland. And if we were living in that gray zone, that, that small space of time between those two invasions, knowing that at any, it was only a matter of time before the Babylonians came back, it would be so easy for us, too, to fall victim to promises of a quick end to our troubles. There's only one problem, one primary problem with what Hannah and I was saying, and that was that it didn't come from God. He, he literally just made it up. He literally made it up. Yeah, understand this. There's, there's literally nothing greater, no greater sin in my mind than being a false prophet. Saying, speaking for God falsely. Biblically, it's punishable by death. God takes that very seriously. He pays meticulous attention when someone says, the Lord told me to tell you this. By the way, if you ever find yourself wanting to say that, I highly recommend you don't. Okay? Bad things will happen, and I, I'm just telling you, 
don't. Say something like, um, it's my opinion that you should. Much safer phrasing. Or, this is what I hope would happen, and I'm praying that you might make this choice. Please don't say, God told me, to do, God told me that you need to do this, or God says do this. You're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Because we can be wrong about a, an, uh, an opinion, we can be wrong about a prediction, and it won't necessarily get us in trouble. But if we claim to be speaking for God, we have got to be 100% sure. In Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah tells us exactly what happens to Hananiah, and this is what it says. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah! Exclamation point. So he's kind of like yelling. That's what that means in English, if you didn't know. You can write that down in your notes. It's good information. <laughs> the Lord has not sent you, but the people believe your lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You must die. Your life will end this very year because you have rebelled against the Lord. And two months later, the prophet Hananiah died. Game, set, match. Case in point as to why we shouldn't listen to false prophets. Their predictions fail and they end up defeated. God makes sure that those who falsely claim to speak for him are brought down. Now, admittedly, the end is not always as swift or as sudden as we would like, as happened with Hananiah. But God will not ultimately bless those who rebel against him. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes, I get it. I, I now understand. We question and we, we don't understand why the good seem to die young or, or the, the bad guys seem to prosper, which leads us to some anxiety in our lives. But God knows what's going on. He knows what we're going through. And in the end, God promises that evil's not going to win out, that wrongdoers will be dealt with, and those who trust, who put their trust in God, will prevail. When we get to Jeremiah 29.10, we come across... God's promise. And I want you to read this with me because it's so good and it's so important that we know Jeremiah 29.10. And so I want you to read this with me. It's up on the screen. So if the person next to you is sleeping, go ahead and nudge them awake so that they don't feel left out. But let's read this together. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. See, this is a specific promise. God has limited the exile to 70 years, no more, no less. God has sent, said the location. It's going to be Babylon. God has even promised his involvement, saying, I'm going to come to you, giving God's grace as it flows in and fulfills his promise. And then he even offers deliverance as he says he's going to bring you home again. And ultimately, this whole thing ends right where it starts. And this is as precise of a promise from God as we can get. The only question that's left is whether or not the Jews will fight against God's plan or whether they're going to embrace it and make the best of it. Realistically, they have no options. They have no alternatives. They have no military power to rebel against Babylon. They have no leverage to buy their way out of captivity. And so it's like God's message is literally, wake up, people, face reality. You're in Babylon for 70 years, whether you like it or not. You have no control over the situation. Listening to the false prophets in your life isn't going to help. In fact, it's actually going to ruin the freedom that you have because they don't speak for me. 
They don't work for me, and they can't be trusted. Just remember what I told you. Remember my promise. I have promised you 70 years, just 70 years, no more, no less. And then I'm going to come get you. I'm going to take you home. I promise. It's a simple message. God has not forgotten you. God's going to bring you home. Not on our timetable, but on his timetable. Yes, it's going to take 70 years. Some of the folks that are there are going to grow old and die. But when God's purposes are completed, he's going to bring them home. You see, here's the thing. God's purposes and ours are rarely the same. God's purposes and ours are rarely the same. Or to say it more accurately, we tend to look at life through a prism, or this little little kaleidoscope, or this little prism in our, our tiny field of vision. We look for what we want, what we think is best, what, we, what, makes, what makes sense to us, what makes us happy, what we want for our children, what we want for our parents, what we want for ourselves, and so on. And these things are, are not always bad. Actually, sometimes they're, not, they're pretty good, or they're, they're, not, or they're good or noble. But by definition, even our purest impulses pale in comparison to to the plan of God that spans through the ages. It covers not only us and our community, but also our world and the universe that started long before we were even born and will come to completion in God's timing somewhere in the future. You see, God had a plan in mind that went beyond and before the Jews' exile. The Jews were in exile because of they were being punished from God. God was punishing them for generations of idolatry. But they were also there for their own spiritual growth. They had something they needed to learn. They needed to be there. But not only that, the Babylonians needed them to be there, whether they knew it or not. The 70 years were meant by God to be a gift of grace, a mark of his kindness to the fierce, proud, idol-worshiping Babylonians. God sent the exiles to them to bear witness for him in a land of non-believers. The Babylonians were unknowingly serving God's purpose, and the Jews were serving God in a way that they had not even imagined possible. And truly, that's why Jeremiah 29 is so crucial. Because facing reality... I mean, true reality in life is the first step towards spiritual renewal. We can't get better as long as we live in a dream world of what used to be or what might be or what might could be tomorrow. Our only option is to live in the present and do our best right now, right where we are, serving God and loving others in Jesus' name. Because sometimes we find ourselves in Babylon, in a place we don't like, and, and where our circumstances aren't likely to change. And honestly, this is where we find out, where we discover what it is we truly believe. And so where do we take that? Maybe you're thinking, in my life, maybe this marriage isn't what I hoped for. Or this job isn't what I thought it would be. Or this life that I'm living is just not what I expected. What this means, no matter what the Babylon you're living in, what this means is that God says it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter because we're called to live as though our lives, your, your, your life, your marriage, your job, your kids, your career, your, your whatever is the one you're supposed to have. Because at this moment, at this particular time, right now, they are. They're the one you have. You may feel like an exile, but you're living the life that God has for you. And it may not be your plan, but it is the life that you have, and it is a life that He can redeem. And it may change tomorrow. Yeah, it can change tomorrow. It could change later today. But right now, in this moment, God is calling you to live in the faith and hope of God's plan for your life. You see, I started today by talking about the easy way and the hard way. And here's the point of that whole idea, that whole concept that I've saved till right now at the end. If you are looking for Jesus in your life, if you're looking for Christ, you won't find him on the easy road. His way is the road filled with potholes and detours and construction ahead signs. See, we each have to ask ourselves, when we face the trials of our life, of the, the things that we are, have no control over, if we believe in God, if we have faith in Christ, we must be willing to ask ourselves, are we going to respond to God's plan for our lives in faith and hope and live into that moment right now as God's plan, or are we going to complain and rebel in our hearts? My prayer for you is that you would always rest securely in God's promise for your life. Because God promises 70 years, no more. And I will come for you, and I will take you home. Jesus promises. I have gone to prepare a place for you. where I go and I'll come and I will get you in John's gospel. But we have a choice. No matter what exile you find yourself in, live today because God's plan is for you right now. Let's pray together. God of us all, we are so quick to jump the easy way out. We look for simple answers, the quick fix, the shortest path. But Lord, we know that you call us to a harder path, one that is set apart. We trust in you and your plans for our lives. We rest in your grace. God, we give our lives, our worries for today and our cares for tomorrow into your hands, into your love and care. Give us the ability, Lord, to live this day into your plan for our lives. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ, your Son and our Savior that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.